Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about how housing will fare in the next recession and when he thinks that recession might happen. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Great to have you on again, especially about this important topic. So let's dive in. And first, let's give us a backdrop about what kind of recession you think we're going to see. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of anxiety about what's coming next. And so when you look at the overall economy, of course, you put housing in a recession last year, right? But let's talk about um, what the next recession looks like for the overall economy. So the structural dynamics of the U.S. economy now are much different than what we saw in the Great Recession of 2008. This is why I've always, I mean, since I've started writing for Housing Wire, I've always stressed that Credit channels run inventory channels. So we're not going to see anything like we saw back then because we had a massive leverage credit boom. So what traditionally happens uh, uh, in a US recession is that when the Fed is done hiking rates and the market believes that, mortgage rates and bond yields go lower together. Now, depending on where demand is, Right, you can increase demand uh, through that, and because of that, housing has a stability uh, in the in the in the U.S. economy. I mean, it's disproportionately impacted. So, when we talk about a housing recession, what I did on CNBC June sixteenth, five oh one p.m., um, is that total volumes have collapsed in the biggest fashion ever recorded in history. And the reason I keep on bringing this up is that we have the lowest bar ever. I mean, it's just, I mean, we already saw what happened to the new home sales sector, which is offering or, or in a marketplace below 6% mortgage rates. So in a recessionary environment, this goes back into my army's bigger than yours. We have 157 million people working. Assuming that the Fed gets their 4, 4.75% unemployment rate, 2 to 3 million people lose their jobs. I have 154 million soldiers armed to the teeth, ready for war. Do you believe your two to three million soldiers are going to come after me and win? How hungry we are for victory. Think of it in that light. So when rates go down, the bigger labor force pool that are traditionally home buyers as well, because the highest unemployment rate in, in every recession are usually typically those that never finished high school, not typically in the home buyer profile that you get impacted in a positive way. So when we talk about a job loss recession, once jobless claims break over 323,000 on four-week moving average, I will shift the entire conversation into there. But right now, what we've seen, because sales are so low, if mortgage rates fall enough, you not only could get stable demand, you could get an increase. And we saw glimpses of that last year I mean, we're sitting here, it's November 8th. So when this comes out, it was November 9th last year. So November 9th is the talking point. Well, guess what? Forward-looking data, uh, uh, if, if it gets better, we're the whole structural housing dynamics are going to shift. So it's going to be the one-year anniversary for that when this podcast comes out. So think of it in that light. We had a glimpse of what it could be. 
Um, and secondary is housing credit won't get like super tight. During the Great Recession, mortgage rates were falling. Affordability was good. We had more supply of homes, but housing credit was so broken that we had to take Freddie and Fannie into conservatorship. We had to do all these things. Uh, we had to deleverage foreclosures, bankruptcies, job. We had all, none of that's here. This is why I've always said it is imperative that we keep Freddie and Fannie in conservatorship just for this reason, right? I know a lot of people are arguing it. Let me tell you, there's a lot of bearish American people that want Freddie and Fannie out of conservatorship because they want foreclosures and they want the credit to get tight so they can make money off of uh, selling distressed homes. I get that aspect, but I mean, that's one of the reasons why people try to fight this. Uh, credit's not going to get tight for housing. So if rates fall down with this very low level sales, stable to rising demand. Okay, so that's that's what I think about it. And in that context, more sales growth has to happen for me to get the housing recession discussion out of here because uh, a lot of people go, well, the builders are doing good, so housing's not in a recession. Construction employment's high, yes, but the other sector of the housing market is at very depressed levels of sales. So when you have income and jobs fall down this much, you know, and then all of a sudden rates fall, then you get a bit of an increase off of that. So that's what I think about when the job loss recession happens. It's so much different now because A, credit is not going to collapse like it did back then. B, when rates fall, we've already seen that it actually increases demand. If we were working from five and a half million existing home sales trends, I would have a much different uh, talking point, but we're not here. We're talking from 4 million and why 4 million is the level I've talked about for a very long time. It's just really difficult. We're here one year later, right? Purchase application data came out today. And if I take purchase application data from November 9th of 2022, all the way to here, guess what? We still have more positive prints than negative, not by a lot, but we still do. So we found a base rates go down. The majority of people are still working. You could get an increase in demand just off of that. So it's going to be a much different housing cycle when the U.S. economy is in a recession. And then it really goes on to another talking point. What does the Federal Reserve do? Because we should, I mean, the rate height cycle is pretty much over. Um, so how do they react? Are they going to be slow? History says they'll be slow, right? So uh, I, that gets into another topic point. When we first need jobless claims to break over 323,000, then we go there. But we could structurally see that Housing already took the brunt of so much of the damage right now. We already have existing home sales near all-time lows if you take it to the civilian workforce. So the new home sales is growing because guess what? You know uh, they're, they're living in a sub-6% world. But the existing home sales market is already at depressed sales levels. So the question is, do you believe that we could go from 4 million to 2 million? Or do you believe, like I can, we could get 4 million up to 4.72 million? on some of the monthly sales prints, if rates come down low enough. We got one glimpse, one big report up to about 4.55 million, but rates after you know that low level started to increase for the rest of the year. So we actually had a 2% two move in mortgage rates this year. If you take the bottom of what we saw in 2023 and uh, um, have it go all the way to where we were at 8%. So when the job loss recession happens, I'm going to have a whole different uh, a mindset on housing, but it's also going to be, we're going to talk about it every single week. And what are the positives for the housing cycle is that rates fall. If rates don't fall, then you got a whole different subject matter altogether. But if we follow traditional economic cycles, housing cycles, 
what usually occurs because mortgage rates got up to eight percent, that move lower is is can be there. That two percent lower uh, uh, from the peak that could happen now just because it goes from eight to six. Now, if we're talking about four and a half to two and a half percent, you know, something that we had in the previous decade, that, that that's a whole different conversation. We're, we're we're not even having that anymore. We're talking about eight to six. You know, and just keep it in that in that uh, time frame, and we we take it one week at at a time with the economic data. So you mentioned your three hundred twenty three thousand um, job loss level. Like, if you see that in the in the uh, is it jobless claims? Initial claims, yeah. Initial, Initial claims, claims. Uh, yeah. So you say that that's that's the like the sign for you that we are actually going into that recession. Where are we right now? We're we're just a tad over two hundred ten thousand, so it's not we're not we're not there yet. I, I people have to realize I don't want to be another stock trader, another YouTube fanatic. I don't want to be that guy that sits there and says the lag, the lag. Oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I always thought this is the old high school basketball coach of me. If my kids are running suicides and they don't touch that last line to finish that suicide run, then what are you? Right, we want to the six recession red flag model that I created that the conference board themselves asked me to to present to them uh, to their trustees. We can get to a certain stage that we can be on recession watch, but we don't go to that level until jobless claims. This is why I'm I'm so adamant about jobless claims have to break. That's what the history of economics have taught us. But I don't want to be that guy that sits there every single day on Twitter and say. Respect the lag, respect the lag, respect the lag. We could be here for like two years for that. And this is why I've always said the last time my six recession red flags were up was 2006, late 2006. The recession didn't even start till 2008. And we had so much more credit stress back then than we do now. But when we get to that, and this is why you have to, you have to trust the person that's trying to tell you the information. Okay. There's, we have a lot of people that just want attention. They don't care if they're right or wrong. I wasn't raised that way, right? So you want to win. Right. So in this case, when we get to those point, when jobless claims start to rise, bond yields start to get lower. And last year we saw this, right? Last year we saw that 10-year yield. I mean, the whole October 27th, 2022 article was that well, guess what? Bond traders are reading probably the same thing I am. The the Federal Reserve's recessionary indicator went off. The dollar's too strong. The next move should be lower in yields. But I had a stop, right? I had the whole Gandalf line. The whole Gandalf line was designed to show people I don't think the 10-year yield can break this level until the labor market breaks. So I'm being tested. I have to hold the line here, right? Test, test, test. Does. And guess what? The labor market didn't break. Bond yields went up. So we're we're going to work on this every single week so we can teach people. Because if I teach all of you how to read economic data correctly, then all the troll orc armies out there in Mordor, it doesn't matter, right? They're just screaming into the wind, whatever. That's why we we focus on weekly data, and that's why that jobless claims data is so critical to me. Because look, at we are here; we're close to Thanksgiving, and last year everyone was like one hundred percent chance for a job loss recession, and one hundred percent chance that home prices are going to crash next year. And then none of these things happen. This is why you have to have a moving variable model, and you have to go with the data. You can't just stick your you know, foot down and just say the same thing over and over again, because in this way, we get to teach it. So we're not, we're not there yet, but the labor market is getting softer, but it looks about right to me, right? And if, if people read my labor economics post-2020, you can understand this. This looks perfectly normal. So we haven't broken yet. We just got a softer labor market. 
So I think that, you know, it's, it's a confusing time because not only do you have, you know, people trying to plan uh, for 2024 and actually how to get through the rest of 2023 in a very, if you're in housing in a very difficult, you know, cycle of the market, but you have these conflicting things going on and you have a lot of things in the news. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the last couple of weeks that are like, I can't even watch the news. It's just too anxiety inducing. If you look, if you scroll on Twitter or LinkedIn, or you think the world is coming to end every single day, right? Uh, that's how the, that's how the, uh, the model is designed to, to enhance or to manipulate. Um, our job is to teach. That's why we, we are here to teach because there are certain things that cannot happen, you know, physically cannot happen in, in, on economic cycles. You can't have a job loss recession until jobless claims break, you know. So um, we will we'll, we'll teach people. This is what we'll do. So the confusion is what happens next year? Well, the history of economic cycles have taught us that when real yields get restricted. So what do we talk about the last six, seven weeks? My God, real yields are getting uh uh, 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 very restrictive. The feds probably, probably didn't really want this to a degree. And so now you see fed presidents, oh my God, this week, fed president after fed president, what's driving long-term rates? You wet hawkish. Come on. You can't go hawkish at a certain stage and think that the bottom of traders won't roll uh, right into you. So, um, the history of economics say the next big move would be lower, right? Because not only does the market kind of think the Fed has done hiking rates, um, the bond market went very restrictive and the Federal Reserve told us, they said, right now, financial conditions and credit conditions are tight. We should get a lower level of economic growth. Whether that's going to create the recession next year, we're going to have to see how the data says. But the history is, unlike last year, last year was more of a market situation where the 10-year-old could go down. Now we have a little bit different uh, format on the economic side. So. Uh, Always remember this, that the, I mean, outside of one time and period, if the market believes the Fed is done, bonds and rates go lower, bond yields go lower and mortgage rates go lower. So we're, we're at this stage where I'm very comfortable of talking about that now where last year it was just a dollar was getting stronger. London was going to lose their pension funds. So we're in a different mindset for 2024. So right now, as I'm talking to you right now, the 10 year yields at four point of five three percent. Okay, so we're we're not even in that normal channel that I thought we should be out here. So to me, we're still in restrictive policy uh, uh, until that changes. But there's starting to be a little shift in the wind now, right? Even some of the people that were uh, that I would consider more hawkish market commentators are going, oh boy, it's going to be really tough for the Fed to talk hawkish now. You know, with 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 you know some of the languages. So we're in another stage. We're going to get there. We just want to guide people. We want to teach people so all of you can enjoy reading and understand it and you don't need them. They're just drug addicts, drug dealers. They're news drug dealers. That's how I think of it. Just throwing stuff out, trying to get attention. You can evolve yourself and then you yourself can teach your clients and coworkers and everything and that the world can be based on numbers and facts and everything and not this yes. crazy world we have out there. Okay, so let's talk. Um, so you just finished up an article for us um, on this topic about 
why the credit channels that we have now really prevent us from having the sort of 2008 housing crash that we had, right, in 2008. So one of the things I wanted to bring up there, because you have this amazing foreclosure chart on that um, article, which shows, so so we are seeing, you know, an, a small uptick in 30-day lates, right? Is that correct? But but put it in historical context for us and and talk about the foreclosure risk. So one of the things that I've talked about about credit is that you know, once the foreclosure process starts to open up again, we should get back to pre-foreclosure, uh, pre-COVID-19 foreclosure trends. We're not there yet. It actually slowed down just a little bit uh, recently, but 30-day lates should get back to pre-COVID trends. That's not like a like a total big major concern, but always remember every single month, somebody loses their job. So somebody could be 30-day late, even in an expansion. What I've tried to show people for the last seven or eight years is that that foreclosure sh- uh, chart shows you something else. It shows you that housing credit was the problem back then. Even in an expanding economy, even when the unemployment rate was going lower, we had credit stress in 2005, 6, 7, 8, to where foreclosures, bankruptcies were rising, you know, were rising into the job loss recession. That's the key. The loans themselves created that credit stress. Now, it wasn't big enough to create the the uh, U.S. economy to go into recession, but it was very apparent not only in the uh, housing sector, but also in the housing credit markets were deteriorating. Credit was getting very tight from 2005, 6, 7, and 8. We saw inventory spike out of control, something we've never seen in, in the five-decade average. And then the job loss recession happened. None of that. None of that's been happening for 13 years. 13 years, it's Oh, wait, what happened 13 years ago? Qualified mortgage came into play. End game. It's over. All that smoke, jazz, and fire, whatever we saw back then, is never coming back. And and I think those who followed my work in the past decade, like my whole my whole thing in the past, previous decade is we're going to have the weakest housing recovery ever. Mortgage credit is not going to get to certain levels until years 2020 to 2024. And lending is not tight. Still very liberal, but it's not crazy, right? There's articles and articles, and we attach one of the articles into the, into the one we wrote for Housing Wire, is that tight lending in America is a myth. We lend to the capacity to own the debt. So when you lend to the capacity to own the debt, what happens? Credit channels look normal. Credit looks normal. We have to wait for the job loss recession to occur. Then we start the process, which is the exact different. You know, and that's so much when I when I tour the country, this is what I one of the things I try to show directly. So everything looks completely different because you cannot have two different cycles be attached to each other uh, as neighbors and have them be so different. And a lot of it is credit. And credit is just normal, it's boring. I don't even believe in the concept of the US housing sales boom. I just don't think we we even have that those kind of demographics or those kind of credit markets. But here it just it was very clean. It looks great. Um, when the job loss recession happens, we start that process. 30-day late, 60-day late, 90-day late, 120-day late, notice of default, foreclosure legal process. We'll, we will guide up all the way there, but it's not happening yet. And what I see always is just people trying to try to make something, some magnanimous to 2018, and it just hasn't been here. I mean, that, the whole broken clock housing bubble boys 2.0 thing was designed for this is it. 
This is the 12th year, right? Goes into the years 2020 to 2024 theory I've been talking about, right? Next year's 2024. The broken clock happened. Why? Credit channels were different. So you can't have a boom and a bust like you did back then because we never had a boom. And now that we're sitting here almost in Thanksgiving, all those data lines, all those charts, you can visually see. You don't even need to read. You can just visually see, boy, it looks a lot different. It looks so different. It just looks a lot different, you know? Those charts are are really illustrative. I would encourage everyone, if you're listening, um, look at the look at the article because uh, we now have a, a data visualization expert uh, working with us, a data journalist who takes Logan's data and turns it into beautiful looking charts um, in, in a color coordinated way, so uh, they look better than ever. But they and they're really interactive, so you could see the numbers too. You could go back and uh, uh, again, again, if you believe in the purity of math, facts, and data, and if you can visually see. Boy, you you don't even need me to explain, you know, how the housing credit cycles are different because the loans are different. You could just visually see, boy, it just looks different, Sarah. You know, it looks like how we traditionally think about housing risks, what we call late cycle lending. People that get very low down payment homes late in a cycle, if home prices are falling, the next year they lose their jobs, they become foreclosure risks. You know, th- these are these are not the most exciting stories, but these are how traditional housing cycles work. And, uh, and we're here. We're all, again, I, I stress, we're almost in Thanksgiving. Home prices got back to all time highs. Inventories are still in there. There's a reason for this. Credit is different and people don't sell to be homeless. I just, I'm still trying to find that one person who actually convinced people that this was a thing. Or then there's a stock traders who go, oh my God, everyone's going to rush out to sell to save their equities. And no, no, dude, homeowners are not like you. They're not on margin 24 seven. They're not freaking out. They're not soft. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about inventory. So last time I talked to you, we were, we were uh, anticipating the Altos data coming in uh, Friday night. You wrote your article on Saturday. What are we seeing with inventory between here and the end of the year? It, Sarah, it looks like I'm going to be batting a zero the whole year. I'm I'm pretty late in the year right now, and I was hoping maybe maybe I could string one eleven to seventeen thousand uh, uh, inventory week out. And, and you know, it is funny to me to look at people on social media trying to make like some kind of big deal about what this year. This year was terribly slow. It is, and it just it just is. I know so many people are trying to like convince people there's some mass inventory. The slope curve was so slow this year, and even with higher rates. Um, I just anticipate maybe just a few weeks we get eleven to seventeen thousand. We're not there. We're slowing down. So the seasonality is about to kick in. So it's going to be a little bit different for spring of twenty twenty four. But again, if it is true, if it, if the if the market does believe and the Fed is done hiking rates and the economy gets softer, not breaking, if if the ten year yield drops, mortgage rate drops, we have a, almost a kind of a similar backdrop to what we had last year. And does that? Forward-looking demand does it get better if rates fall? See, rates are rates are much higher than where they were last year. Last year we went from seven point three seven to five point nine nine, and that created three months of positive forward-looking data. Right? We always want to think forward, right? So today, purchase application data came out week-to-week growth was just three percent. We are working from historically low levels. It doesn't take much to move the needle, but you need duration. You need rates to fall, duration, and then we'll we'll catch that, and then we'll see if that extends out the seasonal bottom in twenty twenty four again. Uh, um, so again, we, we, housing took, took it, right. It took the biggest home sale crash ever. And and the reason I emphasize that is the sales peaked in 2005. It took some time to get to the bottom of 2008 here. We did it in one year because 
all the marginal home buyers were gone. Um, so purchase applications just show some growth, but the inventory levels of slope is just too slow for my taste. I'm a very pro inventory person. And part of that is we still have negative year over year inventory. Uh, and the price cut percentages are uh, still 4% below where they were last year. So the NAR data is, is, is going to be old. It's going to catch up to ours. But higher rates did create more inventory growth. We saw that. It's just it didn't get to the levels that I wanted to see. Uh, uh, and now rates have fallen. We'll see how this works out, especially going out for the last six weeks of the year. But then going into spring of 2024, which will be really interesting uh, uh, now. But we're just working from such low levels of existing home sales and purchase application data that I, I try to keep people context is key year over year data is you know we have such easy comps uh, uh when you're working from the lowest levels of sales ever it doesn't take much to move the needle so we'll we'll keep a focus especially on rates and apps going out in the future logan thank you so much appreciate that we've got so much coming up what uh what data points are you looking at next week so we're going to have CPI come out um, and, uh, you know, retail sales, you know, leading economic index. Uh, we're, we're starting to get into the phase where uh, the economic data uh, on the monthly is really going to start to uh, weigh in in some of the Fed policy. Now, uh, some Fed people are saying the economy is getting weaker. Some people say, you know, the economy is too hot. They sound confused. But just remember, a lot of this is Fed jargon. You know, they're, they're trying to talk a marketplace up or down. I, I, I stress this every Thursday morning, jobless claims, jobless claims, jobless claims, jobless claims. When the labor market breaks, the bond market will run right over the Fed. It will just roll over it. Um, when the labor market gets better, like we saw this year, remember jobless claims started to get better after July. Guess what happened? Bond yields were, were able to rise. So labor data is very key now, but we got, we got, we have some reports coming up. Uh, of course, inflation is always going to be the the talking point, but I think we have to start focusing out of inflation into the labor market and, and take a look at that because I think some of the more hawkish Fed members are starting to lose some of their um, power just because job growth is slowing down, wage growth is slowing down. It just It's not the same it was maybe a year ago. And if productivity, I, I just want to, I just want to believe that productivity is getting better. I'm just so skeptical of any productivity data, but if it just stabilizes, gets a little bit better, that's a positive. I, I don't believe in the productivity boom premise, but if it does happen, that's positive for the U S housing market. It's, it's weird to say this, but productivity data every quarter is going to be one of the more key points for the housing market going out because everything revolves around the 10 year yield because of that slow dance, Sarah, since 1971, Wherever the 10-year yield goes, mortgage rates go with it, vice versa. So the 10-year yield matters here. Thank you so much, Logan. We will talk to you again in a few days. Appreciate you as always. Pleasure as always. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.